All right, today's guest is the bard of all things Australian rules. His music is synonymous with the grand final in our great game, and he's been performing every footy lover's favourite songs since the 70s. Spent the 17 years in radio with his charming character, caring conversations, and hilarious humour. A true professional on and off the mic, pun intended. It's one day in September that I want to remember because I'm lucky enough to speak to the one and only Mr. Mike Brady. Welcome, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on for a chat. Thanks, Jimmy. Good to speak to you, mate. That was a lovely intro. Can you do it again? I can. <laughs> I'll do it again for you. Uh, firstly, mate, I wanted to ask the important stuff because are we actually going to get a grand final without up there, Kazali? What is the progress of you with your bid to get up there to Queensland? What's happening? Tell us, please. Well, um, yeah, we're talking. Um, yeah? Uh, I've had that many people from different... This year it's pretty complex, you know, because yeah. the AFL up there, half the management um, in whatever you call it. Uh, I don't think it's really lockdown, is it? They're staying in some resort. Yeah. Um, and uh, everybody that's going to go up there has to go into, apart from the AFL, I don't think they had to, but has to go into a two-week lockdown. Yeah. So I don't really think I'll be at the Gabba, uh. but these, these ages, this age of technology, uh, there, there may be another thing. And we, we, we're having a chat, you know, okay. about it. Um, I've got a different producer this year and um, uh, different ideas and stuff. And um, so we've had a chat and I'm hoping that we do do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they won't announce it though until probably for another couple of weeks okay. if I am. and. But I'm really hoping that that is the case because I think um, this year is a pretty important year to have up there, Kazali, don't you think? Yeah, I reckon I reckon so, definitely, especially for the Victorians, I reckon, Mike, and you're you're a part of the grand final. So you reckon there might be something, you know, you're doing it uh, for a live stream in, at the MCG or something like that? Is that some of the talks? Yeah. yeah? Yeah, there's been some talk and they've been, well, I read that in the paper, by the way. Okay. I read that <laughs> in a conversation between Gil McLaughlin and Neil Mitchell. And yeah. Neil had suggested that, you know, why don't I do it um, from the MCG? And Bill said, oh, that's a good idea. I'll look at it. So, good. But I actually haven't directly spoken to anyone from, the, from mm. the AFL. But that's not surprising because, you know, they've got some pretty big fish to fry. There's a football game there too, you know. <laughs> oh, there, there is, but I reckon um, I reckon it's pretty important to get you, uh, get you a part of the grand final in... Um, uh, in some way, shape, or form. Um, forty. It was about forty-one years ago, wasn't it, when you first performed it? Was it Channel Seven who actually asked you to write it? Well, it was their advertising agency, and you're right. It's forty-one years ago. I was yeah. two <laughs> at the time. Yeah. No, um, but it is forty-one years. And yeah, it was, it was uh, Campaign Palace, who were very, very good creative advertising agency. Probably at that stage, the best in the country, mm-hmm. and. Um, they basically asked me to write it. Uh, Ron and Lionel, the, two of the creative directors, one of them was the founder, and uh, Ron was Ron still is a pond, still is a really good mate. And they did something really clever. They said they needed a football song. Did I have any ideas? Mm-hmm. They didn't try and write it. Um, a lot of people say they wrote it. Um, uh, I wrote, wrote in a book recently that. Uh, in autobiography that was serialised in newspapers that he came up with the idea to have a song and got Lionel um, Hunt, the guy's name was, from um, Campaign Palace to write it. 
Yeah. And, uh, and Lionel Hunt was clever because he got me to set it to music. Well, that's actually not true. Mm. They were clever because they didn't try and write it. Yeah. Um, they didn't even have a thought of that stage. So I just said, well, what about that old expression up there, Kazadi? And Ronnie, my dear mate, still after all these years, said, I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> never heard of it. He said, yeah. and I said, oh, what is it? And I said, oh, it's an old expression from years ago. And, and he said, uh, well, I don't know what it means, but it sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's associated with football. And that's really how it came about. I just went home and wrote it. How long, how long did it take you to write that? Oh, that took a long time. That took about yeah. 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. Very good. Oh, look, I thought about it that night. Yeah. I, I slept on it. And I used to always get up about 5 o'clock in the morning in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was one of about eight I wrote that morning, in an huh? hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And then I used to have a couriers come and I used to send them out to all the advertising agencies and I don't know what else I wrote that day. I don't remember really, mm. but um, that's how I used to work. It was it was a an interesting way of making money. Mm. <laughs> and the other two favourites, or my favourites, have become a part of Footy Language. Obviously, a one day in September, and that's what I like about football, which you co-wrote with Greg Champion. Can you give us some background yeah. on, on those two classics? Um, well, one day in September was really meant to be a follow-up to Up There Gazebo that hadn't yeah. a follow-up yet that was so big. So, look, it's it's grown over the years, but it wasn't a massive hit. It got into the top 20 on day in September, and um, now I think it's as popular as Up There Gazebo. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've only ever sung it once, I think, at the MCG, um, and then another year I did one day in October and everybody yeah. hated it. Yeah, that was the 2010, <laughs> I think you did that one, for the Collingwood St Kilda um, Grand Final, the um, the replay the next week. And if you oh, ha- I think I did, yeah. yeah. It, would, uh, would you, you wouldn't have to do that again, surely, if it was this year. Don't worry about that, it's October, it's got to be It's got to be September. Yeah, well, they're not, they haven't asked for this in one day in September. Hmm. But I'd like to, because I think it's... It does definitely resonate yeah. with the public. And that's what I like about football. Um, I didn't know Greg Champion that well, but we had a couple of shows together and we got on pretty well. And he sent me a song that he'd written and, uh, and he wanted me to produce it. And to be really honest, I didn't like it that much. It went on and on, you know? Yeah. Um, so what I did was I didn't really write any of the words. I put the, I suppose, what is the musical hook and um, and the hook went oh, 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 um, and sort of structured it a little bit for him and then uh, yeah I became the, the co-writer of another fleetist yeah brilliant <laughs> so, Paul, so... Paul Kelly wrote a line too oh yeah so it's great it's um, champion uh, Kelly Brady. Brady, nice. Songwriters. That's a good trio. <laughs> uh, you were born in England. Obviously, you came uh, 11 years old, I think. When you were 11 years old, you came to Australia. But I remember you once said um, you, you didn't really feel Australian or accepted as an Aussie until you performed up there, Kazali, in, in 1979 at the grand final. Is that is that true? Yeah, it is true. Um, I always thought, and it's not unusual for immigrants, hmm. but I always felt a bit of an outsider. Um, people were terrific to me. Don't get me wrong; it was, but 
I never really felt Australian t- through and through. I was a POM who'd come here as an immigrant and, and you know, grew up in Australia. But um, the warmth I got from the public, particularly in Victoria, when Up There Kazali came out, was just fantastic. Yeah. And I really did feel um, a, a warmth of... Um, Acceptance, I suppose, mm. would be the word. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it was a great feeling. It was a fabulous feeling. So I hadn't been neutralised at that stage. Uh, naturalised, not neutralised. <laughs> um, so I became a naturalised Australian yeah. because um, when Bob Hawke changed the law, and you, you know, when you came from the from the United Kingdom in those days, yeah, you're part of the British Empire. <laughs> And um, and uh, so you had to actually, and I went to England to visit the family, and I had trouble coming back in to the country because oh, because I hadn't got yeah. uh, I hadn't been naturalised, so I had to get a temporary permit to come into the country where I'd had at that stage two children and grown up, and it was a bit of a shock. So uh, I ran off and became neutralised. Mm. <laughs> how long? How long did it take to actually kind of understand that footy culture um, in Australia growing up? Oh well, I understood it very quickly, and I was yeah. fascinated by it because mm. I um, went to school in Port Melbourne in Bay Street, Port Melbourne, um, and then Middle Park. I uh, left school at fourteen, but um, I uh, it was it was pervasive. Um, I, I, soccer was big in England, you know. Yeah, yeah. My team was Crystal Palace. Oh, yeah. And I was pretty obsessed with Crystal Palace. But I'd never really seen a straight... How how absolutely died in the wool they were. I mean, the first thing I got asked at school, the very first thing was, who do you back for? <laughs> I mean, talk about being an outsider. And yeah. Then, uh, you know, the first question that's always asked, who, who, who do you barrack for? Yeah. Um, and I never ever knew what barrack meant. Um, it's an old word that Melbourne claims and Sydney claims because there were the barracks in St Kilda and the people used to walk from the barracks to the footy ground at Lakeside Oval. And the same in Sydney. There was yeah. the barracks in Hyde Park and I forget what footy ground there was there, but they would walk to the barracks. Mm-hmm. So it was a... Um, I, I, I knew, you know, I was surrounded. I played it at school. I was absolutely hopeless because I didn't want to break my fingers. <laughs> I, I, was, I was playing guitar. Um, and uh, we had a woman called Mrs. Nichols and a couple of the nuns coached us too. And yeah. the nuns used to put their footy boots on and, <laughs> and <laughs> under their habits, you know, those yeah. big black habits and yeah, black yeah, penguins. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I used to play footy on the... A lagoon Oval in Port Melbourne with mates, and so I knew a bit about it. And, um, but I didn't go because football was played on Saturday, mm. and Saturday was band rehearsal day. No, oh, of course. So yeah. I, when, yeah. when, when up because Andy came along, I'd only been to a quarter of one game <laughs> um, of of a VFL. Yeah. So I wasn't really an expert, 
but I certainly knew the dynamic and I was fascinated by it. Yeah, and I what, was fascinated how people were so obsessed with Australian rules. Yeah, and what what possessed you to go for for Collingwood, the the most hated team in the VFL? <laughs> Why did you choose the Pies? Oh, got me in a headlock and asked me who I barred. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And uh, this other chap who's still a friend, Colin Don, she said, oh, "I just tell him Collingwood." Yeah. So I croaked out, Collingwood, Collingwood. He said, oh, you're all right. He dusted me off. Yeah. Duh. You're all right then. So um, <laughs> most of the kids there went for South Melbourne. Mm. Um, but it was either South Melbourne or Collingwood. Mm-hmm. There was nothing in between. Yeah. <laughs> I can I ask you about Len Thompson? Um, so do you have a strong connection um, with Len, watching him play? And, and I know you performed at his funeral. It was an emotional and, and brilliant tribute to the man. Yeah, we were very good friends. We've been friends for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, I met Len when he was a teenager, and we were going out with... Uh, he was a fraction older than me, about a year. Yeah. Um, we were both going out with uh, two girls from Essendon, and uh, I was going out with a, with a girl called Bray, and he was going out with a girl called Julie, and we both ended up marrying the girls, mm-hmm. and uh, they were best friends, so we married besties. Oh, good, yeah. And uh, we became very good friends. When he was a teenager... He played football and I played music, and he was about as interested in my music as I was in his football. Okay, yeah. But um, on Sundays, we'd quite often have a barbecue, and there are a couple of other big stars, including the captain, Wayne Richardson, and Graham Jenkin, uh, Jerker, they used to call mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And we'd often go and have a barbecue together. Uh, but, um, and it was interesting because we, it was good for them because we didn't talk about football, and it's good for me because we didn't talk about music. Yeah. Um, we were just mates. And yeah. I used to say, sometimes I'd stay at Len's place if we'd had a couple of drinks, mm-hmm. which Len was fond of doing. Um, and uh, and I was too, being in a band. Um, and we, you know, we became lifelong friends. And that's why, that was the reason the family asked me to sing at his funeral. It wasn't really just to do with football. Yeah. Um, but uh, I loved Len. He was a very misunderstood person. He was a good father and a really good, kind man and thought he didn't really do him a great deal. You know, he was one of those players that didn't really um, kick on after football. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Before I ask you about your your work in the media and radio, how many grand finals all up have you performed at? Do Do you know the number? Well, I looked it up. Yeah, <laughs> I looked it up on um, the computer the other day, yeah. and they've got me down for about five or six. But I've done five or six in this decade. Yeah, you've done more than that. Um, so it's a lot more. Yeah, I think it's probably fifteen. Fifteen, yeah. Um, um, but they don't give me the 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 VFL always said you know like the year that John Farnham did it originally. Mm-hmm. In 1979, um, they always used to say John Farnham was the singer. And even now, it's funny, they call their entertainment the headliners that they get, you know, yeah. whoever it is this year. And um, I saw a thing, someone speculated they might have Wolf Mother or whether they've got um, Meatloaf or whether they've got Sting. Hmm. They're the headliners. And I'm just part of what they call the on-ground. Yeah, I, I did see um, that. Yeah. They're the headliners, and yeah. I'm the on-ground. Yeah. Um, well, I always find that quite, pretty odd. 
Yeah. Um, so I got left off the list for a lot of the ones that I did, like 1999 I did it, um, and that wasn't on the list. Um, and there's quite a lot that I did over a few years, uh, which I did with other people and, um, uh, you know, various artists and stuff like that. So I, I reckon it's probably 15. Yeah. Yeah, we need to look into that. It's, that's disrespectful, I reckon, not to have you down as doing more. So we'll definitely look into yeah, that, Mike. Yeah, um, I've actually had a word about that. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Good. This year, but, um, you know, I do think I'm part of the entertainment. I'm not, um, you know, I don't think it's fair to say that I'm not part of the entertainment. Um, not that they do say that, but quite often I don't even get mentioned in yeah. the press release, you know. Yeah. Um, so hopefully... I understand that, you know. I mean, you can't control everything, but I reckon I've paid my dues. Oh, 100%. 100%. You also paid your dues on radio. I think it was, was it 17, 18 years you had, um, you worked with uh, uh, Mike Till Midnight. You did your radio show. And I remember you saying, um, you said that you thought you knew a lot about radio before working in the industry, but in reality, you actually didn't. So how was it stepping in? Well, it. It was really interesting because I brought it up almost like a joke. Yeah. The program manager at Trade W, it was at the time, um, was uh, was Clark Forbes. And I used to give him a little story now and again. And I'd given him this story and I said, oh, I should be on your station. Yeah. And he said, oh, do you want to be? And I said, oh, I haven't given it any thought. He said, well, we've got an opening for you. What about the week after next? Yeah. And I said, Okay. So I'd never done radio other than interviews. And I turned up and I was laughing with the person who became my first guest on radio. I used to talk real estate for the first hour. And he said I would sweat in the first month or two, buckets of sweat, yeah. of perspiration, because I was so nervous. Yeah. Um, and I really didn't expect it. I, I thought I might last a month. Mm. But it lasted 17, 17 years. Well, it was into its 18th year oh, 18, okay, yeah. when they decided to drop the program, which, you know, was there for long as if it's their radio station. <laughs> yeah. See, so, well, who was your biggest influence, do you reckon, uh, working in radio? We'll be back after a quick break. to be like anybody else mm -hmm. in fact I purposely tried to be a little bit different yeah I tried to be very warm to the audience because I realized that on a Saturday night when I was on that there are a lot of people listening that were lonely there are a lot of people that had disabilities there are a lot of people who went to bed with the radio on mm. listening to me I used to say I used to sleep with men and women on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> they were, they'd listen to it and fall asleep. Yeah. Um, that's how good the content was. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and <laughs> and I, uh, uh, 
I knew that I wanted to be friendly. I wanted to be sincere and be myself. Mm. Um, and, you know, I did other programs where I had to be a bit more outspoken, have an opinion on everything, but I just tried to be warm and um, warm up their lives. It was, you know, I had people like Billy Pennell on with me for years. Um, Caroline Ferguson was on for a long time. Chris Ryan, uh, Alan Howe from the um, well, originally from the Sunday Herald Sun was the, the editor. And then um, you know I had a lot of very good guests uh, who were very loyal to the program, and it became a little club. Uh, and it rated very, very well. Yeah. I've no idea what it rates like now, but um, <clears throat> I've heard a few rumours. Yeah. But uh, it's a different program now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, you've written a few jingles in your time as well. Uh, and I know you wrote Lucky You're with Amy. Uh, was, there's others, other ones as well. Can you tell us some of your famous jingles you've written? <laughs> well, I've written about 10,000. Okay, so yeah. I always... Um, we'll just name 9,000 of them then. I forget, but going back to the early days, the first one that really got noticed was Hard Yakka. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. When, um, when I did, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that sort of opened the door for me. And then I did lots of different companies and, um, you know, from uh, Brashes, remember stores like Brashes mm-hmm. and McEwen's and, Yep. Um, and then um, uh, mad things like SPC. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. SPC, they And, yeah, Arnott's. I sang a lot to Arnott's for... Um, Another writer. I didn't really write many of the artist things, but I wrote. The, you can't be the sayo for a snack. Lucky you're with Amy. I've been away sailing, and the mast snaps at the top. And the um, the captain. It was my boat, but the captain of the boat came up from down below because he heard all the commotion on yeah. deck, and he said, "Anybody killed?" <laughs> and I said, "No." Is anybody hurt? And I said, "No." And he said. Oh, well, you kind of had bad luck and went back to bed <laughs> um, while we cleaned the mess up. Yeah. And then, blow me down, two weeks later, I was in Melbourne and um, got asked to write, and they said, well, what about Amy? Because you can't help bad luck. And mm. they said, no, too long. This is my colleague, Noel Jobridge. He said, um, it's too long. I said, well, just lucky you're with Amy. And that's how that came about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I still do occasionally, uh, do a jingle occasionally for different things and don't sing them very much these days. Um, and, and that was my main job for many of those years. After um, I started, which is probably in about 19, I'd been entertaining in Vietnam. And so about 1969, I started singing other people's jingles and gradually got to sing my own. And um, right up till 1979, um, it was a huge business. After 79, it diminished a little bit because I became um, I became uh, known as a anthem writer up there because they typecast me. So I lost a lot of the instrumental work that I won a lot of awards for. A lot yeah. of my work was instrumental. Um, and gradually over the years, it started to drop off a bit 
uh, singles diminished anyway, you know. But um, it was it was a good living and it was very good to me. Yeah. Yeah. You've also written a fair few songs as well, obviously. Uh, your latest album, uh, Bloodlines, you've got a new single as well, When I Was Young, and a new song titled The Dishonored. Um, just a little bit different up there, Kazali. Can you tell us about those? <laughs> Sorry, I've laughed over you saying just a little different. Um, well, I've got a friend, because I live in regional Victoria, and I've got a friend, he's a, a Danish gentleman yeah. called Michael, Michael Hansen, as he would be, yeah. and um, he goes under the name of Falmer. Yep. Uh, he's a he's really a dance and electronic music um, performer, and uh, he asked me if I'd do all the voices on this. He writes fairly dark music, mm-hmm. and I kind of like it. Yeah, um, and I've been to a couple of his concerts, um, so we did that, and it's very very dark. It's a long long film clip. Yeah, but um, uh, and we filmed it down my way, and, and we're now we're working with. Uh, internationally with someone in Denmark a couple in Australia and one in New York and we're doing a, an opera mm. um, together it's a modern opera and I'm doing the narrations and some of the voices and stuff like that so yeah I stay active I still write a lot you know and um, I haven't been that motivated during the lockdown I have to say mm. but um, funny that I haven't, I've hardly touched the guitar but I've still been writing, writing a few stories, and um, I'm working on a film script at the moment. And, you know, I, I stay relatively active. I've, I'm working on a new brand idea. It's nothing to do with music. Um, I've always been a creative person, and um, which is probably why I'm a bit vague sometimes. <laughs> No, it's good. It's good to hear you. You're keeping busy because during these times, it's it's hard sometimes. We've got to keep active and keep our mind working, um, especially while we're locked up True. in the house. Yeah. Um, we normally end up with uh, ten quick fire questions just to get a little bit uh, more about you. Is that okay if I go through ten with you quickly here? Sure, sure. Okay, Mike. What is your favourite food? Chinese, Asian, all oh, Asian. Nice. Your favourite band? Um. I've always liked, I know it's been around a long time, but I love the energy and the musicianship and the showmanship of the living end in Australia. Yeah, yeah, nice. And what is your favourite song? Favourite song? Now, that's a really, really difficult thing. Mm. But I reckon that it would be somewhere between the living years, which is pretty old now, Um, and I'm not a giant fan of a lot of modern music, but um, uh, I'm a big fan of Linda Ronstadt, so I reckon that her Still Within the Sound of My Voice is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. Um, and another female, Bonnie Raitt, with I Can't Make You Lovely. I can't make you lovely. I Can't Make You Lovely is a beautiful ballad. I like ballads. I like sad ballads. I'm only, sad. I'm only happy when I'm sad. <laughs> Very good. Who inspires you? Inspires me. Yeah. Um, in entertainment, I love people that overcome difficulties. Oddly enough, I don't like her much as a singer. I'm not really into her music, but I'm inspired by the sheer tenacity and front and confidence of Kylie Minogue. Mm. She started with very, very average talent and just stuck to it and was focused on what she needed to do. I find her story 
quite inspirational. Mm. You know, it's a pretty average voice, I reckon. She probably <laughs> hates appearing that, but I still really mm. admire what she did. Um, and I suppose people, um, I, I, I stick with the Australian team. I always loved Jess John, you know, who had um, a very huge disability, but I still reckon his song, Big Time Operator, was one of the best songs ever done in Australia. Um, and you know, anyone that's overcome difficulty and become a star despite all the all the setbacks, and to become a star in Australia, you've got to work really hard. But for those who really work the smoky, beer stinking, um, you know, music um, barns, um, I really admire them to have stuck at it and come out. Joe Camilleri, wow, Ross Wilson, people like that. Yeah. Who's your favourite footy player of all time? Of all time? Well, the, I'd have to say Gary Ablett mm. Jr. Yeah. Probably, in my mind, was the greatest because he was so good. I mean, his father was unbelievable. But um, he was... I'm, I'm not a, a Geelong supporter, but um, just extraordinary how he was able to overcome his dad alone, the talent of his dad, the reputation yeah. of his dad. Pressure, you yeah. know, he's a, and he's a, he's a pretty fair player, too. So. Yeah, definitely. Your favourite movie? Um, the Thin Red Line. Okay. Uh, because it's an anti-war film yeah. with, with, a, with the beautiful use of music. And I'd say second to that would be The Mission. Uh, if you had to write another footy jingle now, what would it be about? Um, it would be about the fans and their loyalty. Mm-hmm. Good. And what? And it would treat the fans with enormous respect. Yeah. Um, up there because Ailey's a little bit like that. But um, I get sent a lot of football songs from people and quite often they overlook if the human element of football. It's... Um, uh, the players are great and they get paid to do great things and they do do great things. Um, but the fans are the people that I'm really fascinated with. Yeah, yeah I love that. Uh, what, uh, sorry, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Probably the very south of France near Colios, okay, which nice. is down on the Spanish border. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of good music. Um, it's a beautiful place, unbelievable climate, great wine. Yep. Um, and you can go to Spain for the day. And you can be in Spain in an hour, half an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I've spent a lot of time in France, and that's the place that I really, really love the most. Brilliant. Uh, your favourite quote? Um, I can't repeat it because it's from the movie The Terminator, <laughs> when Arnie Schwarzenegger, 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 <laughs> gets in the truck and the truck driver's looking at him saying what the and he goes he, he says in, in a less polite white word uh, nick off um, something or other yeah <laughs> and I just love it but I there are lots of there are so many quotes um, uh, the one that was attributed to Winston Churchill when he was asked why was he still funding the arts during the second world war and he said well I sometimes think that if we didn't have art, what would we be fighting for? 
So culture and art, if we didn't have our culture and art, why would we be tired? It's a very good point. Yeah, I like that. Yep. The last one, what is the highlight of your career? I think the highlight was singing at the 1979 grand final. I've sung in front of bigger crowds than that, 100,000. So it's not the size of the crowd, it's the reaction from the crowd. Yeah. And as I said, it made me feel... But it was such, it was such a sweet thing because I wasn't trying to have a hit record. You know, we, the song was done in a TV commercial. I didn't even know it was a hit record. I was in France with my family. Mm. Um, and the late Ron Tudor rang me up from Buckingham Palace where he was getting an MBE, which is a pretty big deal, um, to tell me that we had a number one record and I didn't even know. It was fantastic. Um, uh, it had already broken all the records so, yeah. uh, in terms of you know um, sales and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it was that, that 1979 grand final. It was a big thrill to be out there and recognised you know, when I went given up on a recording career years before, yeah. years before, and then suddenly having a, a huge hit, there was a great irony to it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, the highlight um, of my career, it, speaking to you is definitely up there, so I really can't thank you enough for, for coming on today. Um, it isn't September without Mike Brady, so I'm glad we all got an extra special dose of Mike Magic on today's podcast. I'm so grateful to get the chance to speak to you. Thank you so much, Mike Brady. My, my pleasure, Jim, and uh, good luck with the podcast. Um, and uh, I'll be watching out for you and spreading the word best I can. Thank you, mate. Yes, Jimmy!